to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. This is episode 94, series 11. We're coming close to 100 episodes. This is wild. Thank you all so much for dropping in today. Um, this podcast series is mm, new aged, I guess. I don't have any guests this um, series. I hadn't talked about myself since the first episode. So almost, yeah, 94 episodes ago. Um, and so I've had AI, artificial intelligence, come up with questions for this series. And we are talking about all things my snowboard career. Uh, episode 90 was early influences and beginnings. Episode 91, mentorship and influences. Episode 92, training and preparation. Episode 93, we just touched on challenges and triumphs. And the next two episodes, I had to break it up because I went to four Winter Olympic Games for snowboard halfpipe. Uh, couldn't fit it into one 30 to 40 minute episode. So we will be doing two. Uh, this is the part one of my Olympic journey. Now, <laughs> I usually have a rapid fire and it's never rapid. You get to know a little bit more about the guests. So I have kept true to that and I will be doing another 10 rapid fires for you today. Let's start off. Time freeze moment. If you could freeze time for one day, do anything without consequences, what would you do? <laughs> if I could freeze time and then I could do anything. Okay. Okay. I would choose the most in mountain and go snowboard fresh powder. And then it would like transport me to one of the best golf courses in the world. And then I would end up at a beach. So I could do like all the things I love in, in one day. It's not a moment. That's a day. <laughs> okay, number two. Historical costume party. If you had to attend a costume party representing any historic era, which era would you choose and what would your costume look like? Okay, so um, I said in the last podcast series, podcast series I, episode, I didn't really get to um, celebrate my birthday like normal people because I'd be competing that day. Uh, my birthday is December 5th. And uh, that would always be like the first competition of of the winter season. And so I will come to why cost historical costume party comes into play. <laughs> um, so when I moved back to Whistler full time, I decided I wanted to murder mystery. And I had had a babysitter that had, um, Chris and Nuria, shout out, that um, had <laughs> done a murder mystery when I was little. We had like astronauts and like, we had like a plethora of people at our house when I was, when I was little. And I remember that. And so I was like, I'm going to do a murder mystery. And I think the first one I did was a 20s theme. And I got to wear like this, um, little like I don't know feather head piece um around my head um and I had like a a sparkly but like 
beautiful skirt. And I just think I like the 20s era. It's like classy with a little bit of risque. So, okay, that was like a long story short, but um, the 20s. I think I would do the 20s again. But I obviously I'm an 80s baby, so I love dressing up in the 80s as well. But that's too close, so I think I like the 20s. Sorry, guys, that was long, but fun story. Uh, number three, animal translator. What? If you could understand and communicate with one species of animals, which would it be? And what's the first thing you'd say to them? Okay, the first thing that came to mind was a dog, but I feel like they're like a little bit more intuitive. So maybe a sloth. I think I'd like to know what is going on in their heads and whether they think think or want to move faster, but they just can't. So my question would be like, do do you want to live like this or do you want to be a faster animal? I don't know. It's super random. (laughs) Number four, dream weather day. If you could control the weather for one day, what weather conditions would you choose? I would choose snowing at night and sunny during the day. Um, and like spring spring conditions so like 20 degrees out but with like fresh powder on top of the mountain and then you could play golf in the in the (laughs) in the valley but you know I think you guys are getting to know a theme here that snowboarding and golf I like them both as well as the ocean um okay space vacation (laughs) what if you had an opportunity to take a vacation into space would you go oh Oh, see, I kind of talked. I don't know that it would. Oh, if it was free, I would go. I'm not paying to go, but. Oh, that's so scary. I'm like, I'm like sweating. Think about it. I think I would go. SpaceX, I'm ready. Kind of. <laughs> uh, favorite type of music. What genres of music do you enjoy the most? I currently really like country music and I've said this a lot on Twitter for now known as X um, that country music if you listen to it kind of makes if I'm like depressed at all it makes me feel better about my life because they're going through such turmoil in their songs um, but I love you guys know I love pink so I love pop music I, I kind of love it all I, I'm, I'm open to different genres for sure uh, weekday routine. What does a typical weekday morning routine look like for you? Depends on the season team. Um, if it's a summer, I'm getting up early to play golf. Um, it like at least three days a week. If, um, it's winter, I'm getting up early to go snowboarding. It's shoulder season. I'll have like a little bit of a lin, which is nice. Um, but I'll always try and get my uh, – <laughs> if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I love uh, Kira Stokes workouts because I always had a personal trainer. So um, she just – I get just get to follow her and I'll, I'll put that in the day for the weekday routine as well. Last book you read. Oh, I uh, just finished it. I was reading it in Mexico. Again, today um, I'm recording November 25th, 2023. Um, I was reading it in Mexico, Girl in Cabin number 10 is kind of like a, a mystery suspense thriller book. Uh, my mom, my mom was like, I think you're gonna like this one. I read it in two days. It was, it was, it kept me going until the end. I was like, what is gonna happen next? Uh, highly recommend. 
Um, fitness routine touched on that. How do you stay active? Uh, I, I honestly I just follow an app that tells me what to do and what workouts to do. And it, the hardest part is choosing whether I'm going to do a seven day challenge, a 14 day challenge or 20 challenge. <laughs> Thank you, Kira. Favorite holiday tradition. Okay. This is actually important uh, when it comes to my snowboard career. I was only home throughout the whole year during Christmas. So I freaking love Christmas and understanding that it's November 23rd. I left to go to Mexico um, end of October and I was like, should I put up my Christmas decorations for when I come back? So um, my favorite holiday tradition is being with my family over Christmas in Whistler, British Columbia, Canada. I Love it through and through, and we've always celebrated here. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. My parents do spend a lot of time in Mexico now, uh, rightfully so. Um, but I do love me a good winter wonderland Christmas and Christmas lights. And if you know me, I freaking love Christmas lights, so that's a thing. All right, let's get into this series. Um we will be talking about my Olympic journeys. Now, I have four of them, and I'm happy discuss all four, but you're going to have to get the next two in the next episode. So ChatGPT has come up with questions, but I did want to preface that how I got into wanting to go to the Olympics was in 2001, at all down in Chile. And by we all, I was on the uh, national team and there was a lot of snowboarders down there. The whole chorus team was down there as well. Uh, a U.S. team. Anyone that wanted to go to the Olympics because the Olympics were in Salt Lake. There were a lot of Americans trying to go to those games. Uh, names like Travis Rice. Like people that you wouldn't think wanted to go to the Olympics were at, like trying to qualify for these games. So it was really cool to see um, how many people wanted to go. That, that you were kind of like – Oh, I thought you were just like backcountry. I thought you were just like free riding. And and no, it was like everyone wanted to go. So I was like, if everyone wants to go, I want to go. Um, but that was Chile in uh, 2001 leading up to 20, 2002. And the games were 2002 in Salt Lake. So I was a little late to the game. I was pretty young. I think I was 17 or 18. And uh, I knew that the path to the Olympics was what I wanted to do. That's how it all started, team. I did not go to the Salt Lake Games. Uh, if you don't know me, I went to my first Olympics in 2006 in Torino. And so ChatGPT broke it down and said, first Olympic experience. Take us back to your first Winter Olympics in Torino. 2006. What were your initial impressions and emotions upon realizing you were about to compete at the Olympic? Oh, on the Olympic stage. Okay, well, like let's go back to when I qualified and I I've shared this story before um because I had Karen McNeil on um I think series 1 to talk about overcoming your fears and uh, I had a huge in my head, my goal, I wanted to go to these games. I qualified and then I sat down and freaked the F out. I was like, oh, I don't have all, I'm not ready. I am not ready. I, sh I don't deserve to be going. This is, this is too much. And I like, I had like a mental breakdown and I was just, I remember exactly where I was. I was in my bedroom in Whistler in Alpine and I was just having a moment. And that moment, led me to reach out to um, Karen McNeil, sports um, therapist. And I just, 
I said to her, I'm like, I can't go. I'm not ready. I don't know. And she's like, she just like walked me off a ledge and, and was like, you can do this. So my initial reaction was like, oh dear, what have I done? I'm not ready. Like I didn't feel prepared. Um, when I got to the Olympics, I still, I feel like I was just like, like a fish out of water. I didn't, I never really watched much of the Olympics unless like my parents were watching and I'd been in snowboarding for, for a fair few years now. And so like the Olympics watching how it all worked was not on my radar. Um, I don't, I feel like I was really not prepared <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, I mean, they try and prepare you as much as you can, but the, there are like <laughs> more things you need to know than, than I than I knew. Um, yeah, it was, it was super interesting. The emotions getting there were, um, really excited when I kind of come to grips that, that I, I could do this and I was ready. Um, challenges and lessons. Every Olympic experience comes with its challenges. Can you share any specific challenges you faced during Torino 2006 and lessons that you took away from them? Yeah. So at these games, uh, as I said, I was like fresh newbie. Um, luckily I had, uh, Mile Ricker who had been to the games before, um, and some other teammates that were there and we were kind of in it together learning ropes. Um, and we, uh, <laughs> lessons that I learned, I mean, I crashed at those Olympics. I was a hopeful to go to the finals, uh, in half pipe. I did my first run, landed it, got ninth. The top six went on to finals. Then we had a second run. And in that second run, I crashed on one of the easiest tricks that I knew, and that was my Olympics done and dusted. And I was absolutely crushed, devastated. I wasn't moving on. That was the format, um, all or nothing. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't go my way. And I was, just went back to the Olympic Village devastated and um, saw a mentor that was there, Marnie McBean, who I've talked about before. And she was like, well, how do you think you're going to do it the next one? So I was like, obviously I'm going to the next one. I had like a huge fire under my butt that I needed to go again. Um, so that was like a huge challenge. Uh, but at those games, like we had a lot of hurdles. Um, when we first got to Torino, we um, – we went on a tour to see the other villages because at the Olympics, at the Winter Olympics, there are different villages. So there's like a mountain cluster, uh, a city cluster where like all the skating happens. And sometimes there's two mountain clusters. Um, ours was the biathletes and freestyle skiers and freestyle snowboarders. And then there was another one where the downhill skiers were. Um, and then the the city where in Torino village was where like the curlers and the figure skaters and, and all those things happened. So we were getting a ride to the downhill village and don't quote me on what the village name was called, but it was really beautiful. Um, but on our way back, we had an army guy drive us back and we hit a guardrail. <laughs> so even before we'd competed, we got in a car accident which we were all fine, just a little like jarred, which is not exactly what you want to happen 
um, at the Olympics. You want to go in and feeling like 100%. So, so that happened, but we were fine. Um, and then I, I had, well, let's just say I had three crashes at those Winter Olympic Games. So that was the first one, the car. The second one was um, in the half pipe. I crashed on a front side five and uh, I was so loud. And I had to wait another four years. Wait, no. I had to like earn another four years as well as qualifying again to go to the next games. Because um, it's like honestly it happens in a split second and you're just like – it's like this gut-wrenching feeling where you're like, yeah, obviously I want to go again. Like I'm pissed, but um, it's four years away. <laughs> they don't have it every year. Ugh. So frustrating. Um, so that was the second crash. And then the third crash, my family uh, came down to watch me. And I say come came down because we were in Italy and a lot of my family uh, is in the UK. And my parents came over and my brother came over uh, to watch. And, uh, so they drove down from the UK. And when we were driving in Torino, uh, we were driving in a, in an English car. So drivers on the right side, passengers on the left, I was in the front seat. We came to this intersection with, um, like a, a amber light. So we were just creeping through and a freaking motorbike came out of nowhere. Like, like we, I looked up cause I was a passenger looking left and it came out of nowhere from the left and it hit, thank God, the, the tire on the passenger side and the, the motorbiker just flew over the car and I was just like in slow motion, what just happened? And he got up and he was okay. And luckily we were right outside of Canada house and like people saw it and came down and we were just like, what even? And then you think about where the biker hit and you're like, if he had come like a foot or like a couple inches closer, that would have been me hit by a motorbike. Anyways, that didn't happen. We all survived the, the car. Well, I think it was okay. The motorbiker got up. Um, but that was like <laughs> so crazy. So did you know that saying like everything happens in threes? Well, that was my three crashes at those uh, Winter Olympic Games. It was wild. Um, memorable moments. Uh, reflect on a standout moment from Torino that <laughs> remains etched in your memory. Um, and what made the moment special? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> this is a very snowboard-esque kind of moment. Um, but... Obviously heard I was not happy with my results. Uh, I was 22 years old, so I went with the team. A lot of them were celebrating. Uh, we were drinking a lot of wine, made it back to the village, and uh, I woke up the next morning and went down to the um, cafeteria where it's like biathletes and other Olympians are still competing, and we were we were finished, but. Um, but we were still there to cheer on the rest of Team Canada, which is the best thing you could ever ask for. And um, <laughs> I hadn't really looked in the mirror that morning. And when I went to the washroom after having been in this cafeteria, I realized I had a full mustache drawn in Sharpie on my face. I had my teammates' names down the back sides of my arms where I couldn't see them. Uh, 
And I was looking real good. <laughs> I mean, that's not a story you think you're going to get when you talk about the Olympics, but um, it's pretty on brand for a snowboarder. <laughs> I, like, I don't even know if people were looking at me funny. I was not feeling top notch at that moment, but uh, that is a memorable moment that <laughs> is etched in my memory. And uh, what made it special? I didn't know that I had Sharpie on my face, and my teammates are awesome. We all celebrated together. Number four, impact on career. How did participating in the 2006 Torino Olympics shape your approach to snowboarding and influence your career trajectory in the subsequent years? Well, you heard that I got the fire under my butt and I really wanted to compete in the next Winter Olympics. Four years, it's a lot of time in between, but I had this goal that I, I had to go. I was not leaving it like that with the crash. Like that's just not in my blood. I'm I'm not I'm not here to give up. I'm here to like freaking go for it. Um, so that kind of shaped where my career went in snowboarding, like having opportunities to go in the backcountry. Yes. Uh, I was there for that. Did photo shoots. Yes. Um, but in the back of my head, I was like, I'm going, I'm going again. Um, having wavered back and forth, um, between the Canadian team and the UK team, uh, I put it all on the line once I found out that Canada got the games in 2010 and, uh, and I was, I was going and it is not easy to qualify for an Olympic, uh, but I wanted to do it again. Okay. That was 2006. I mean, I have so many other stories about it, but that's kind of like the <laughs> gist that you'll get today. Uh, Vancouver 2010, home ground advantage. Vancouver 2010 marked the Winter Olympics on soil. How did competing in Canada add a deep dimension to your Olympic experience? Well, at first, I was like, okay, this is going to be in Canada. Is the half pipe going to be in Whistler? Because I'm not sleeping in my own bed. That is super weird to go to an Olympics and then sleep in your own bed. I didn't like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Uh, luckily, at the Vancouver 2010 Olympics, the half pipe was at Cyprus. So, for those of you that don't know, that's in Vancouver. Um, and it was the Vancouver slash Whistler Olympics, but the skiing and the bobsledding and the cross country skiing, that cluster. Um, of athletes was in Whistler and I was in Vancouver. So I was like the ice like cluster was super different. And like, I loved it. It was so cool. Such a different experience for me. Um, a lot of people ask if there was like a home ground advantage. Not really. We got to ride that half pipe for nationals the year before. Um, actually Tora Bright came out cause she needed points and she won that nationals that year. <laughs> super funny so we and we didn't get to train on, on that half pipe at all before uh which is crazy and that half pipe isn't even there anymore which super sucks but it is what it is that's the way things go um and okay i will give you this one tidbit i'm, I'm just reading the question again is how did it, it differ um <laughs> didn't find this out till after the olympics we had the most comfortable beds. So Sleep Country Canada um, made these beds for the Olympians. So they're single beds. Like when you get to the games and you go to your like, it's like a dorm kind of place. You just get this like white walled room with nothing in it other than a bed. And I think Team Canada puts in specific like 
a, a, like a dresser um, and maybe a table and a chair. And when we got to these games, we were in really in Vancouver, we were in waterfront um, apartments and all of the um, like kitchen stuff and the bathtub were all boarded up with plywood. So you didn't use those things because they're building them to resell them which is great. And this is around False Creek in Vancouver, which is right near um, the science world um, sphere thing. And uh, and we were in like the nicest places. They were like million dollar places. And these beds were so comfortable. I actually went to Sleep Country Canada after. And uh, this is not a plug. And I was like, I want the bed that I slept on. What is like, oh, that was special. We actually have those. And I was like, what? So that, that's like something that's that's super interesting um, about having like a home game. Obviously, you can get like more snacks and more of like what you're used to uh, rather than random strange food that's kind of overseas sometimes. Um, it was a very different experience in a sense that it was cool to see Canada come together and like play hockey in the streets and and just like be so patriotic. It, it was a sight that I will never forget. Um, and then obviously we go into the energy of 2010. Vancouver was celebrated for its vibrant atmosphere. How did the energy of the hometown crowd and Canadian support impact your performance and mindset? Okay, so this is like where I kind of talk about getting in the zone because <laughs> this is a funny story that I've told before. Um, at those Olympics, I was the sole Canadian that made it into finals. Uh, it was a long day. Normally, and then the format had changed from the prior games in 2006, where it was like one run, top six, move on. Second run, top six, move on. All or nothing. This is a, a, a best of. Um, so you get one run. If it wasn't your best, you can better it. Uh, and it's the best of two. And when we're on tour, we would have a qualification day and then a finals day. They were, but at uh, the Vancouver games, they combined it all into one day. And what that meant is we had qualifiers. So that was um, training and then um, two runs. And then we had semifinals. So that was training and then two runs. And then we had finals, which was training and two runs. So that's a lot of snowboarding in a day, more than normal. Um, and I have to remind everyone what the temperatures were like uh, at those games. It was like 13 degrees and like spring, the cherry blossoms were coming out in, in February. It was uh, abnormally not like, <laughs> it was very different. So the snow wasn't uh, great. They were ended up trucking in a lot of snow. And we were supposed to have five days of training prior to our competition day, but because the half pipe just the snow wasn't working, we ended up having three days of training rather than five. So you can kind of see how that would be mentally challenging. Um, anyways, push on to the longest day in snowboarding, I feel like I've had in the half pipe um, competition wise because it was all in one day. So in finals, I was like getting kind of tired. My, I woke up that morning. My stomach wasn't feeling great, but I was like, ah, it's just butterflies. And um, I get to the top of the half pipe and I feel like it was Tora or Elena, maybe both of them that came up to me and were like, we love it when you drop in. And I was like, what? They're like, the crowd goes insane. 
And I was like, I don't know what you're, they do that for everyone. And everyone in the finals tent was like, no, they only do it for you. And I was like, so in the zone that I just like, I, I assumed they were cheering for everyone. I never would have thought that they were just cheering for me, but like, oh, bless their hearts. And I haven't watched it like with sound or anything before, but, um, I remember in between semis and finals going up into the to see my parents because I had some time and and it was like one of the most amazing times that I would cherish because I'm just Mercedes like yes I've I've worked really hard at snowboarding and as at the Olympics but like to go up into the crowd and see all my family and my friends and then people that I didn't know that were just like stoked to be there it was um a moment I'll I'll never forget and I should think of more often because it was really really cool and so that was, that was a funny thing to hear from from all those girls. No, no, they're only cheering for you. Like, oh, God. Um, so at those games, um, it was my best placing. And chat GBT says, in Vancouver, you achieved your best placing at the Olympics. You walk us through that particular event, describing the lead up, the competition itself, and the emotions afterwards. Well, I kind of just touched on that. Like, it was a long day. Funny enough, I'd learned a new trick on the last day of our training, uh, a cab seven. So that's going up the wall backwards, doing a rotation and a half or two, yeah, something like that. And then landing regular. So in my normal stance, I just learned that trick, um, which was super interesting. I had so much fun in that half pipe. It, it was perfect once they got it figured out. Like the first couple days of training were, um, a challenge for sure. It was like sand in the bottom of the half pipe. It, it was um, really mushy and hard to get up the 22 footballs walls. But once we did, like it just kind of flung you in the perfect way to get air and rotations. And I was just in love with that half pipe. It was almost perfect. Um, and so I learned a new trick. I added it to my, um, training and my, um, my run and, and I just kind of went with it. So, uh, I mean, I wish I could remember all the runs, but I can't, but I remember, um, just not wanting anyone to get into my head. I wanted to be in a, in a good mood and at those games. Okay. I mean, it's funny. Listen to me. I listen to music, um, just to kind of pump myself up and stay in my happy place and in um in 2000 i think i was listening to the spice girls or maybe that singles single ladies started and i was, I was listening to beyonce <laughs> which is super funny um and then i think in 2010 i wanted beyonce again i was like i just want this i want to be in the same zone and like get the same feelings and i i was getting big air, getting my tricks. I didn't get all my grabs around, um, especially in the cat seven because I just learned that trick. Um, but it was uh, it was a thing duty. And then unfortunately I crashed in my second run in fun. I was um, in sixth place and I was like, you know what? That's pretty freaking okay. I was happy with that. Then I saw Marnie McBean and she was like, well, you could probably do better at the next ones. I was like, oh my gosh, how many Olympics do people go to? Like, that's not normal. Let me just take it a moment, one moment at a time. Um, so yeah, that was my best placing out of the four Winter Olympics. I look forward to talking about 
the next two Olympics because those are a whole other ball game from these two Olympics. Um, but before we do that, ChatGPT support from home with family, friends, and fans in attendance. How did the support from your hometown and the broader Canadian community contribute to yours in 2010? Um, I touched on it in the last episode, but my friend, um, we still had a coach that I wasn't super keen on, um, but we did have um, some other coaches come in and help that I did trust, which was awesome. But before that in training, uh, my friend Tim Orr gave me some amazing little tidbits and he knew what would get me going to like be a better snowboarder. And again, that comes down to trust and like them having watched you and, and, and know your, 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 what makes you fire and what makes you like want more. Um, so a huge shout out to him. I learned from the 2006 Olympics that I needed to let my family figure out where and what they would be doing. And I knew that I had to focus on the task at hand, which was competing because that was kind of the most stressful time in my life. Um, so I let them go to their, do their own thing. And, and I, I knew I wanted them there and to be supportive. And it's the same in the 2006 Olympics. I, I was like, you guys can do this on your own because I need to focus on what I need to do. And I know for most family, everyone's like, dad was crazy. Um, but in my mind, he was like, I'm not gonna cry, but he was, um, he knew what I wanted. I wanted to be able to know where they were in the stands. So I just try and find them. And they made like this in 2006, they like a huge sign that said Mercedes. Oh, bless their hearts. Like, so sweet. Was that 2006? No, that was 2010. 2010, I think they made like a huge sign that said Mercedes, which is so sweet, but like also a little embarrassing, but like so lovely. Um, and I always wanted to know where they were um, and that they were watching. And I think he knew that. And gathering the troops um, was probably not fun for him or the family, but I I'm so appreciative for when they showed up and that I could just see their faces and know that I could look to like this amazing support system that was there. That was huge. And then the rest of Canada, like, oh, oh my gosh, I, uh, there are people that I still don't even know that watch that come up to me and, and are so kind and have so many nice things to say. It's, 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 um, it leaves me speechless in a sense. Um, post-competition reflection after 2010, what reflections or realizations did you have about your performance? How did it set the stage for your future Olympic aspirations? Yeah. I touched on that when Marnie was like, well, how could you do with the next ones? And I was like, what? And then Rick Hansen, who's another amazing phenomenon in, in Canada was like, yeah, you could do better at the next ones. And I was like, okay, two Olympics is a lot. And I'm just going to take this one competition at a time, see if I still love it, and uh, and keep going. And guys, my love lasted a really long time with half by a long time for Winter Olympics. <laughs> uh, Legacy of Vancouver 2010. Vancouver 2010 is a significant chapter in your career. How, thank you, Chachiti. How do you believe that? That particular Olympics has left a lasting impact on your legacy and the broader narrative of Canadian snowboarding. I mean, I wouldn't know. I feel like I am like a little bit of a hermit in that sense. Uh, I, 
I'm sure it brought to light Halfpipe within Canada and seeing a lot of girls come up and want want to do Halfpipe is like just melts my heart. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that many Halfpipes in Canada, but I don't know. You guys let me know. Like I was living it. I didn't really get to like see what like these were that that making it into the finals had because also Justin Lamaru, Canadian man, he made it into the finals as well. I beat him by one. He was seventh and I was sixth. <laughs> but I mean, uh, hopefully it just shed light on what a fun, um, fun-loving sport that snowboarding is. Uh, <laughs> you guys are going to have to tell me. Anyways, uh, that – was the 2010 and 2006 Winter Olympics with me. I had a ball. I mean, I have so many more memories. The first Winter Olympics in 2006, I um, I didn't stay for closing ceremonies. Uh, we had Pavarotti singing at the opening ceremonies. It was wild. Uh, I'm sure I've touched on the opening and closing ceremonies before, but maybe I will in the next episode. Um, we, yeah. And I didn't go to the closing ceremonies because I got invited to go cat skiing with my family and I'd never been before and I had the time and I went and I don't regret it. And that made me know I needed to go to the next Olympics because I knew I wanted to um, to go to the closing ceremonies, opening and closing. Uh, and at the Vancouver Games, uh, opening ceremonies were fabulous. And the closing ceremonies, I actually, and I didn't touch on this in this podcast, but um, I was super sick after um, competing. That Those butterflies were not butterflies. They ended up um, being pancreatitis. And uh, I <laughs> was in real rough shape. I was in the hospital. And because I hadn't gone to the closing ceremonies in 2006, I was adamant that I was going in 2010, even if I had like a shunt in my, in my hand still, which I did from the drugs that I needed to get in my body to get um, pancreatitis pain, which supposedly is said to be more painful in childbirth. And uh, I haven't had any kids yet, so I can't attest to that. But <clears throat> it was really, really painful um, and awful. And a crazy thing that has the Olympics, at least in, in, in uh, a home Olympics, is that um, I didn't want my parents to know, but my teammate Sarah had, I think, called them. And they were staying in Whistler, so they had to drive down, I think. And in the hospital, there was like a – I had like a secret password for people to get in. I was – like I was in so much pain. I was not okay. My team doctor, Connie LeBron, a godsend, taking care of me. And um, and and uh, my parents needed like a special password to come see me. I mean, I think I don't – I don't know the impact of what I had at those Olympics. I don't – I think I don't know. Um, because so many things are happening and you're inside this bubble of the Olympic life. Um, and you don't really know what the news is saying or what's happening out there. Um, but yeah, I was super sick, ended up getting back on horse, being okay for closing ceremonies. We had a a massive hangout with Team Canada that that ended up being kind of a tradition where all of Team Canada would to get get together after closing ceremonies, have a couple beverages, some pizza, um, and just really take in uh, those moments of how everyone did. 
And yes, we did party. <laughs> um, I ended up sitting on one of the rooftops with some teammates, some that I just met. Um, shout out to Justin and Brad. Uh, we sat up and, and watched the sunrise and just really took it all in the whole view of Vancouver. And it was a memorable moment and made so many f- new friends, um, learned a lot about other sports. I didn't even touch on uh, sitting in the um, Olympic lounge in Vancouver. We had a full penthouse and that's only for athletes, no coaches allowed. Um, and that was really special. I sat down once um, to watch snowboarding and uh, the two uh, go- goalies for Team Canada came up and sat with me and they were like, is this what you do? And I was like, yeah. They're like, you're crazy. I'm like, you don't have any teeth. You're crazy. <laughs> so you you get to meet amazing people. And I have one more story that that makes me laugh so, so, so much. Um, me being a blonde, naive human. My friend Sarah Conrad, my teammate, we were in coming down from the um, athlete lounge in an elevator and she froze up. And I was like, oh, this is weird what's happening. I know she doesn't talk very often, but like, this is silence. And we were, one person came in the elevator and, and, and then he left. And she's like, you have no idea who that was, do you? And she's from Nova Scotia. Not that that makes any difference. And she's, and I was like, no, I don't know who that was. She's like, that was Sidney Crosby. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, he was pretty good at ping pong. He seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> I don't know, guys. That's me. I just like to make friends and meet people. And we're all just people. We're humans that uh, work really hard at what we love to do and passionate about. So some fun stories from 2006 and 2010. Thank you so much for dropping in today. As I said before, you can find me online. You can write some comments in the show notes um, on YouTube on Instagram, on Twitter. Thank you so much for dropping into this podcast. I appreciate all of you and stay tuned for the next episode because I will be touching on the next two Olympics that I've gone to because I don't know who goes to four, but I did. Have a good day. Thanks so much for dropping in today. You can find everything you want to know about dropping in with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks DJ Kenosis for the music and my mom for the intro voice. happens when we play outside we become healthier both mentally and physically we become more creative and more focused we connect with nature each other and ourselves let's take this outside a new podcast hosted by me marianne iveson an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover i speak to athletes outdoor professionals and scientists about their connection to nature how it affects their performance and everyday life Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.